Don is, is famous at our organization for telling companies that the minute you custom write software, if you have to customize anything uh, at your business, you have now, to some degree, uh, become a software company. Uh, it, isn't a, it isn't like just fixing a thing on your car and then it just runs for another 100,000 miles. You have to maintain that customized piece of software, that code base with programmers or with a partner or however you do it. Uh, at some point, it's going to need to be fixed or a bug is found or it's going to have to be updated. Even if it works fine, you just need to update it because whatever's underneath it you know, has evolved. The big question is, how can you fix and transform your organization's most important foundation, your software, into an asset which allows you to become better every single day? Each department is at its best when it can smoothly, efficiently, and productively operate. And to do that, you need to pay attention to the lifeblood of your organization, your software. The custom software creation geniuses at Architect Now are presenting this podcast as a way to help leaders think more strategically about their software and to roadmap what needs to happen in order to be at the top of their game. No, this podcast is not going to scramble your brain by talking about DevOps or API calls. Our goal on this show is to make you better by giving you the high-level insights that you need so you can better make decisions that will not only be cost-effective, but will help your team on an intangible level as well as a technical one. Welcome to Newsflash, you're a software company. Welcome to Newsflash, you're a software company. Welcome everyone to the first episode. I am here with the three geniuses of custom software development. We have the president of Architect Now, Kevin Gross-Nicklaus. We have the vice president, Don Jacobsmeyer. And we have the most knowledgeable man on baseball, possibly in the entire Midwest, Mr. Alex Will, who is Architect Now's chief technology officer. Gentlemen, welcome to the first episode. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you for having us. We look forward to it. We are really excited to have this conversation. And today we're going to be talking about help. My software has fallen and it can't get up. This is a problem that an enormous amount of business owners struggle with every single day. Um, it is a challenge that CEOs, CTOs, CIOs, any C-suite executive you can imagine, all the acronyms are always concerned about. And we're gonna have a conversation about what it means to be dealing with legacy software, what it means to be looking at your digital infrastructure's end of life, and what possibilities may be available to you that you know you might not have an idea of. By the way, I'm Corey Durkin, one of the co-hosts for this podcast, and uh, very excited to bring this information to you and give you some insights from some of the most unbelievably creative geniuses when it comes to creating custom software solutions for business owners who want to be more efficient, more effective, more productive, and want to grow their company. So Kevin, let's let's start out with you and talk just briefly about um, you know the the challenges with legacy software. You know, you have a a business that maybe you know you started your software development uh, ten years ago or five years ago or fifteen years ago, and you've been hanging on tooth and nail, uh, you know, maybe watching your software put together with some duct tape and glue. 
and you're praying to God that it's going to get you through another year. Um, what are the challenges that old software like that kind of brings up for a business uh, across all departments, quite frankly, um, as time goes on? There's a lot of risks that go into old software. And, and in my career, I started back in the 90s uh, writing custom software solutions for companies that at the time, they just there were no other options but to pay software developers like me or firms to, to customize something very specific to that business. And uh, I anecdotally know that many of the products that I wrote even back then are still being used. And I, in, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there's a, there's a lot of risk. That was old technology. You know, there's security risks. It takes a lot of manpower to maintain. At the time that we did it, it was, it was very cutting edge and we made the best choices in the tools and technologies and languages and platforms. Uh, today, we would, nobody would be using that because it's, it's legacy. It's, it's old. You can't find anyone to work on it. Uh, the vendors like Microsoft and Google that, that we use their technologies, they don't support that anymore. They recommend that, that everybody that, that is using custom software still built on those tools get off them because there's risks, there's financial risks, there's security risks, uh, there's, there's hiring risks. Try to find a, a developer that wants to work in a, in a tool or a, on an operating system that's 15, 10 years old, five years old. As weird as it is to say, technology is moving so much faster today than it was back then. And it's so much uh, different in the younger generation, the newer generation to our industry. They, they want to work on the, the latest and greatest to some degree. You know, there's a point where every dollar you spend to keep that software alive, you know, you have to know it's going to end. It's like having a car that has 200,000 miles on it. You know, you're, you're near the end of life and there's going to come a point in the near future. You, you're going to need to buy a new car and you better plan for it. So. And, and talk to me a little bit about one of the things that you said was, was really important. And obviously, it's a, a very hot button issue for all companies today, especially now that so many of us are, are remote for the foreseeable future, if not forever. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the security risks that come up with a company that has legacy software. And some of the most basic security risks are just that the, the tools or even the operating systems, if you will, that the, a lot of small to medium-sized businesses unfortunately today still have a lot of on-site infrastructure they they manage their own servers and, and laptops and the tools that they wrote that might be legacy still run on that that older infrastructure and there's a lot of a lot of bad actors whether it's you know uh for, for various reasons that are trying to exploit vulnerabilities in that older software uh those vulnerabilities have been identified and fixed by many of the major vendors in anything relatively new, but in that old software, they don't, they only go back so far. And the recommendation is, you know, if you're willing to run the risk of keeping that old software around, you're, you're just going to have to put up with the vulnerabilities. And, and there's a lot of, you read about it in the news every day where somebody gets, gets hacked or, you know, they, somebody steals a password and takes your data hostage. And then, you know, people have to pay to get that back. There's a varying reasons for that, but a significant number of times that relates to somebody just did not upgrade their software in a meaningful pace and they had something custom they needed to keep it around for and it came back to bite them in the end and it is a different world today we we for varying reasons reasons the last five or ten years have been hugely or hugely disruptive to our industry and how fast it's advanced but the last year uh, thanks to covid and everything else it's became a remote worker environment uh, companies whether it's a two-person company or a Fortune 500 company, people work from their homes today uh, with technology. So they need technology that allows them secure access to, to 
collaborate with their their coworkers efficiently from their homes as opposed to sitting next to them and, and using old software that runs in the closet or in a data center. And when you talk about those bad actors, Kevin, what are some of the examples of bad actor attacks or challenges that businesses can get into with those types of security risks? Obviously, ransomware uh, is a big one, but what are some of the other ones that can be a problem for a, a corporation? Uh, with Specific to kind of the discussion that we're having here today in legacy software, uh, older databases, older software that has a risk, somebody could get access to your data. Uh, unfortunately, the best practices, although they should have been, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, a lot of legacy software did not store sensitive data in such a way to make it, in, you know, such as just simple things like encrypting passwords or social right. security numbers. A lot of older software products, a lot of companies that use them, and even the, and the, the executives or the people that manage that software day to day, I think they realize that we're at risk because the, the tool that we're using, we feel we have to continue to use. It makes our, it's our secret sauce. It makes our company better. But it was written at a time where the passwords aren't protected. So if somebody got in, a bad actor got in, they would get usernames and passwords and social security numbers or sensitive data like credit card numbers out of that system and be able to do you know, whatever nefarious thing they wanted to do with that that data, whereas more modern best practices, modern tooling, modern databases, uh, they, you know, it's, it's much easier to tell if that kind of a uh, worst case scenario is being put into place. We just don't do it. And we see this all the time. People ask us, hey, can you review this old product we have and tell us, are we at risk? And one of the first things we kind of do is, you know, under NDA and, and you know, we, we protect ourselves and we protect them, but we look and, you know, there's some immediate red flags that that we see more often than not that we're like, wow, you, you, whether it's in the healthcare and HIPAA or, you know, it's financial, you know, I was able to quickly look at your database and see credit card numbers for customers going back 10 years. That's a big risk that any vendor like ourselves could see that. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not certainly at, at the level of, of tech know-how as the three of you geniuses, but my understanding is that bad actors can very often ping against different databases and different companies' infrastructure to the point where they can tell whether or not that company is up to date and whether or not their you know, so-and-so organization is a good candidate to attack. Is that correct? That is correct. There's, uh, you know what you're doing. You do not have to be a, you know, a, a malicious government or you know, intelligence agency. You could be a, a teenager in your bedroom with the right tools, and you can you know, kind of test penetrate someone's network and see, are they using this old software? Because if they are, right. uh, it's highly likely they might not have changed a default password or things like ports or technical things. They can tell if there's a hole. And then once they find that hole, they can, they can get through that hole. And some of those holes were the default settings on operating systems from 2005 or 10 or, and th those holes have been closed. And, you know, things have been tightened up and things are much more secure today than they've ever been, although there's still vulnerabilities found. But what happens is if, if you aren't or if your company isn't up with the current technologies and some of those holes exist, you are now exposed. And so if you're, you're not up with technology because the software that you use only runs on that old technology, that's a risk that you need to start looking at what other options exist that are more modern that I can take advantage of. And, and there's a huge migration to the cloud for that reason. Don't, don't run your own, migrate to the cloud. Put things up where, where Microsoft and Azure and, and Amazon with AWS, they manage 
you know, those holes and they manage those databases and they run scans for you and they tell you if there are these holes exist, what you need to do. There's lots of modern options that, that a company starting today would not have any of these, you know, potentially if they just started on a newer platform, much of what we're talking about today would, would be a non-issue. They're just in an environment already where the stuff has been covered. A hundred percent. And you also look at the fact that things like ransomware have increased in, in price at a significant rate. Uh, looking at statistics from the National Security Institute, which said that uh, the average ransom fee has increased from $5,000 in 2018 to over around $200,000 in the year 2020. So there's gasoline being poured in the fire from the standpoint of corporations with legacy software being held hostage by people that are able to test penetrate, that are able to identify those vulnerabilities and go after them with uh, reckless abandon. Now there's other things that are problems for legacy software that are not just related to security. Um, there's a, a large portion of corporations that have issues with um, their infrastructure when it comes to the software actually working correctly. Right. So you have maybe you have updated uh, external systems that your uh, software is trying to talk to and it doesn't do it as efficiently or it drops things out because it is old. Um, and that can be a real challenge because, as you said previously, it's very hard to find developers to fix those problems, which are not necessarily they're not security issues necessarily, but they are issues that relate to your corporation's ability to be efficient, effective and productive and profitable. So tell me a little bit about um, what some of those uh, sort of mechanical issues are when it comes to legacy software. I mean, you, you, you mentioned this, a bunch of them right there and you're exactly right. Some of it is just finding people that want to do it. And that adds cost, right? You, you're not getting the best and the brightest. You're getting the people that, that, you know, that have the capability and you pay more for those people. Uh, so you can go find people to work on legacy software, but they, they come in a premium. The, the individual developers or teams or companies, they charge a premium for wanting to do that. Uh, some of it is scalability and performance. The, the older software just wasn't built to, to support the level of scale that you might need today. Uh, some of it comes down to, uh, we, we look at a lot of it. We've had companies you know, from various sizes bring us in and say, hey, review this and tell us what are our risks right now? And it's, it's weird for me to say, but mobile app, there are legacy mobile apps today. And it's, it's funny that it just seems like yesterday we all started using apps on phones anyway. But now there are people that wrote iOS apps and Android apps five, six, seven years ago. And those operating systems that, that Apple and Android release, or that Apple and Google release, as the case may be, they have evolved so much that at some point they just don't support apps that were published into the store five years ago. So a lot of customers that we've done those older applications for, they get notified from Apple that said, hey, there's a new update coming. And just so you know, the app that you currently have in the store isn't going to be supported. It's just not going to work anymore. So we'll have to pull it out of the store. And they, they realized right then that, you know, there's a decision point. We have to decide we need, you know, a developer to go in and make whatever changes are necessary for our, our older mobile application to work on this new. And the same applies to websites, uh, whether it's a desktop app that you might run at your business on a, a Windows or a Mac, you know, desktop or tablets, whatever the platform, that software runs on top of something. And whatever it's running on top of is constantly evolving, getting improved and enhanced. And, and the, the wheel is turning with technology. So your thing isn't always going to run as efficiently or even at all. Uh, forever. At some point, you're going to have to 
have somebody play with. We, uh, Don is, is famous at our organization for telling companies that the minute you custom write software, if you have to customize anything uh, at your business, you have now, to some degree, uh, become a software company. Uh, it, isn't a, it isn't like just fixing a thing on your car and then it just runs for another 100,000 miles. You have to maintain that customized piece of software, that code base with programmers or with a partner or however you do it. Uh, at some point, it's going to need to be fixed or a bug is found or it's going to have to be updated. Even if it works fine, you just need to update it because whatever's underneath it you know, has evolved. Absolutely. And, and Don, speaking of that, talk to us a little bit about what a business owner or a CTO or a CIO um, may be unaware of when they're thinking about the problems with their legacy software. In other words, they're aware of probably a lot of the things that we've just talked about to some degree, right? They know the software is not performing the way it used to. It's a little buggy. It's not talking to the external systems the way it should be. They know there's probably security risks that they're not really addressing. And um, but they have some sort of blocks in their own mind because they're a little concerned about things like what it could look like to cost uh, out a new project and, and kind of, you know, not really sure where to go. So talk to me a little bit about some of those misconceptions that someone has when they maybe are aware that they need to change. They know that they're kind of on their last legs in, in terms of their software that they've been using and kind of where that disconnect is of, of, of where they are and where they can go. Yeah, that's really important. We talk about it uh, with really all of our customers. And so it really comes down to the value proposition that that software offers. If it is something that is generating re revenue for you, well, great. The equation is a little easier then because you know what it's generating for you. You roughly know how much you could increase that over time by tweaking some dials, doing some marketing, you know, adding new subscribers or features, whatever that may be. Um, if it's not generating revenue for you, let's say it's an internal line of business app that like most of these tools really are, then you really have to decide how important is it that we uh, keep this tool in its custom format in perpetuity for our business. So now that there's so many other sort of what we refer to as off the shelf options that there's other vendors that have prepackaged software that is no longer custom. You're no longer on the hook for maintaining it, supporting it, um, handling, you know, hosting and scalability issues and, you know, keeping it up to date. Um, since there are so many of those options available now, we encourage our customers to really ask themselves the question of what purpose is this serving for you to make sure that we're all on the same page? Like what ends are you willing to go down to keep this, you know, maintained and up to date, to keep it secure and performant, to keep it scaling in the way that it should be and keep it accessible uh, for everyone who needs to use it potentially. So once we start down this path, we typically get into, is this something that you're gonna um, operate as a capital expenditure project or an operational expenditure project? And what we mean by that is, are, are you gonna come in and have the approach to spend a bunch of money up front and have that asset uh, be valuable for as long as possible to spread out you know, that cost as over as much time as possible? Or do you know that uh, this is something that we're gonna contribute to regularly. We're gonna add new features. We're going to add new users, hopefully, that are gonna have new requests or they're gonna have different devices that they need uh, supported 
for this tool. So we're going to contribute to this over time and continuously provide value, but also continuously invest money into it. And so that's where we find this sort of fork in the road. And there's no wrong way to do it, but it's really important that uh, everyone we talk with understands which path they're on. Because when you don't understand what path you're on, if you think you're in a capital expenditure project, but you're having to regularly invest money into a project that you acquired or built or whatever that may be, it, it throws off your whole accounting you know, books because now all of a sudden you're spending money on something that you didn't allocate funds for that year. So when the rubber meets the road, that's really the high level conversation that we're getting to. So I sort of danced around, I think the question you're asking, but that scenic route is kind of important to understand like what is the narrative that we're really asking ourselves and why are we even building this? And there's always good reason to build good software, but which approach should we take based on your unique scenario? Absolutely. And the unique scenario is ever changing because you may have some clients, um, you know, you may have some people that you talk to where they've tried to go down that road a little bit in some direction or another. Alex, when, when you've talked to uh, clients that have, have, have been at that fork in the road and they've tried to go down the path of, well, let's see if we can fix what we have with our in-house people, or let's see if we can hire somebody piecemeal for, you know, a little bit of time to, to try to fix this code base and patch up some holes. And, and, you know, again, they're aware enough that they needed to do that. And they've tried to dip their toe in those waters. What are some of the things you hear when they come back to you and say, this is just not happening the way it needs to be? <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, we hear those conversations all the time and a lot of it always comes around about if you're trying to fix what was already created in legacy and your business has shifted a lot, just like technology has grown, your business probably has grown and, you know, been changed rapidly as well. Does that old piece still do what you needed it to do? Is it still a focus of what your business is or are you just making it work for you? And this really comes down to of, Let's rethink about how we can help streamline your business and make it more profitable through, through software. And there are you know, a ton of ways to think about this. Um, thinking about how, how have we changed our process over the past 10 years and how, are, how can we make that streamline? Are we having communication difficulties? Are we still doing things through paper? Are we still doing things outside of the software that should, be, should belong there? One of the biggest trends we see now is there are a whole bunch of different pieces of software out there that don't talk to each other and we manually move it around. How has technology cha uh, changed your business to help us streamline you know, data? Everything is data now. That's probably one of the most profitable things in your business if you don't realize it right now. So how do we make sure that you know, we're taking advantage of, of the legacy software you already have and make it more modernized to where we get more benefit out of all the stuff you already gathered? Yeah, and, and I think that you said something really powerful there, which is the ability to rethink your software, right? Okay, we, we created this custom code base and this custom software program, or we had something off the shelf 10 years ago, and we, we've, you know, continuously held it together with that duct tape and with that glue. Um, but at some point, we really need to have a conversation about streamlining this. And I think that that's where Architect now is such a powerful piece of the process, because 
while you may know that you have security risks, you may know that you have um, you know, old software that's not talking correctly, you may have bugs, you may be unable to find developers, and you may have even gone down some of these paths from time to time over the last few years trying to fix some of this. At the end of the day, unless you're really in it on a day-to-day -day basis and you are a tech wizard the way the three of you and the rest of the Architect Now team teams are, it's very challenging to come up with what could those creative possibilities be. So um, I'll throw it back to, to Kevin. Uh, tell us about the idea of that, that better house analogy. You know, people are sitting here going, well, um, I, I know that I have problems. I know that there are solutions, but I'm really unclear about what could be possible for me and my company when it comes to updating our software infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, I think, Alex, I started down the path, but there are some, you know, one, two, maybe three really big misconceptions that people have as they find themselves in a situation like we've talked about. Uh, number one is if I invested X dollars, say $100,000 or half a million dollars 10 years ago in building the software, and now I, I'm concerned that it's reaching its end of life, a lot of people have the misguided belief that it's going to cost me that much or more to modernize or replace it with something newer, which is unfortunately never the case. Uh, the tools that companies like ours and developers in our industry use, the platforms, the, the processes on how we write software and how teams work together have evolved to be so much more efficient that even if you did ask me to build you the same house, if, if you showed me your old software and said, I love it and I want it to do exactly the same thing and even look the same, I could still build that software much quicker today, uh, sometimes by you know factors of 10 quicker today, depending on what you're doing, uh, than it might've cost you 10 years ago. And that's just the nature of how much or how far that, that vendors that provide the tools and libraries and frameworks for software developers have came in that time. They've solved a lot of the mundane problems and we're standing on the shoulders of giants. So if don't, the, the dollar figure or that people think it took me a year to do 10 years ago, it's going to take a year today. It could be that we could replace that software in months today, even though it took that original team a year and they might've been really efficient. Uh, a new, that same team using new tools isn't going to require the same year. And that year equates to dollars. However, whether you're paying a third party or, or salaries to the staff on your own team. Um, the other, as Alex mentioned, the other misconception is, nobody we ever talk to wants to build the same thing again. They might think they do, but when we sit down with them and start talking, you know, what do you really need? Uh, none of our customers are isolated in their industry. They all have competitors. They're trying to be uh, competitive with them. They want to be as good or better as their competitors at what they do, whether they're selling a software product, whether they're, their tooling is just to make their staff and employees better. Uh, they look at their competitors and think, I need to be better than them. And they look at their software and sometimes that software is holding them back. They're using 10 year old software. If they really want to be competitive, take that track and design a process that fits you today that makes you better uh, and, and learn from what you did 10 years ago. Yeah, and I think that the ability to find out what's going to make you better now, as opposed to what you were thinking 10 or 15 years ago, as Alex said, businesses change, markets change. So being updated for those times being able to go along on that journey at a quick rate and possibly increase 
not only the design of your new software by factors of 10, but also the different mechanisms in your business by a factor of 10 is an incredibly powerful proposition. And in many cases, you know, the ability to design that software is not as cumbersome as it was back in 2010 or 2005. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of CTOs and CEOs you know, don't go ahead with those projects or don't even want to pick their heads up out of the sand to look at what's possible because they still have PTSD from a decade and a half ago. And I guess one other point to make is we, uh, more often than you might realize, talk customers out of using us. Now we spend, and it's usually pretty quick. Uh, if you're, say you're starting a restaurant and you need a point of sale software to manage, you know, taking credit cards and selling, you know, food at your restaurant. You don't need to custom write that. That industry has many options of a varying degree of, of price and features and capabilities. So if you come to me and say, I'm going to start a restaurant, go do that. We get a lot of requests to build e-commerce sites. I want to sell widgets online. Uh, right. Custom writing that is, is nothing that we would ever recommend. There are great options out there, whether it's an Amazon storefront or, or Shopify or Magento. There's lots of pre-existing and customizable uh, solutions out there. If you're building a marketing website, there there are marketing firms that would use a WordPress or, or a you know a content management system like that that could get you off the ground very quickly. You don't need to to start from scratch and pay a software developer to write your own code that you have to maintain. Now, 10, 5, 10, 15 years ago, the the industry was was younger and there weren't as many options for some of these things. When you custom wrote your software at that point, your industry might not have had somebody selling just something off the shelf. So you might not have went that route. You paid a firm to write it. Uh, if you come to me today and say, I got this old software, we may do a quick you know, scan of the industry and say, hey, this, there's a product over here that does exactly what you do. Why don't you, we just help you migrate your data into this product. And then you start using that. And you don't have to custom write anything. So we may just help you transition from your custom thing into this other thing. But more often than not, it's really a mix. As much as we can help customers and do this very frequently as needed, custom write software solutions, it is very rare today that 100% of those solutions are custom written. And what I mean by that is if you need a, a CRM, a customer relationship management system, like a Salesforce or a Dynamics, so those exist. We would start with those and customize them. One thing the industry has, has really gotten good at is people that sell those types of software today make them very easy to integrate with or very easy to customize. So instead of starting with a blank sheet of paper or a, a cocktail napkin and a, and a pencil and sketching out ideas, we start with an existing product or two products and we just make them talk. That might solve your problem. Uh, we start with one product and customize it or move your data into that product and make some minor changes. So it's, it's now more of a hybrid world when it comes to custom software. And that could be a huge cost savings. If your million-dollar expenditure 10 years ago was writing a content management or a, a CRM, we may start with Microsoft Dynamics today and build on top of that. So we, we just found an off-the-shelf product that covered 70% of what you paid to custom write years ago. Sure. And, and I think that one of the things that you at Architect now do so well is not only taking that approach when necessary, but also having the team infrastructure to be able to be up to date on all of the latest little scenarios, holes to plug, things to think about when it comes to integrating those off the shelf solutions with a, a decent amount of at times, you know, custom writing uh, to be able to create 
pieces of software that serve your customers at the highest possible levels. And it's a great place to leave off in this episode because in the next episode, we're going to be talking about more solutions for people who have that kind of legacy software. We're going to kind of dive a little deeper into the 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 possible risks that exist and what people are doing to get out of those scenarios, right? So like, what are those solutions? What do those look like? What are the possibilities? We're going to, you know, really kind of take a deep dive on those because allowing somebody to understand what's possible, really getting them to get over that PTSD from a decade or a decade and a half ago, and to allow them to open their eyes to what's possible with improving the efficiency and the productivity and the profitability of their business is really what Architect Now is all about. So we are so excited to see you all on the next episode. And Kevin, Alex, and Don, we are so appreciative of your time and the work that you do. And we look forward to seeing you all on the next episode. This podcast is presented to you by Architect Now. Whether launching new cloud or mobile apps or modernizing your legacy platforms, Architect Now can help you identify the best options and work with you to bring those ideas to life. If you like the information in this podcast, we can assure you it is only a fraction of the actionable wisdom and insights you will gain by talking to the team at Architect Now. To learn more and start a conversation, visit us on the web at www.architectnow.net. We'll see you on the next episode of the Newsflash, You're a Software Company podcast.